2: and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: You're
3: listening to C-103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: Patricia
4: Messenger
1: on C103. And a very good
4: Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along. It's a bit of a dreary day out there. Try to stay dry. That's probably my best piece of advice for you this morning. Uh, Bernie's taking the calls at 0818 103 103. You can text your WhatsApp to 0862 103. 103. And while All of the papers are picking up on the wildfires in Europe and they're raging ahead of what is now a second heatwave in two weeks. Uh, Temperatures yesterday went as high as 48 degrees in some areas. In parts of China yesterday, uh, temperatures were up at uh, 52 uh, degrees. It really does seem at times like the world is on fire uh, when you look at the red zones around the world. And while that's going on in other parts of uh, the world here in in, in Ireland it's been reported that we have become warmer but we've become a wetter country and I think no one's surprised to hear that and this is an analysis that's been done by Metair and looking back over the last 30 years. Climate experts studied data from 1991 to 2020 and they found during that time that rainfall increased by 7% when you compare it compare it to the previous 30 years, which would be 1961 up to 1990. And despite this, the research shows that the sunshine hours also increased by around 5% when you compare the 30 years with the previous 30 years. May, by the way, is the month most likeliest to be sunniest of any month of the year, and that's followed by uh, June. And the research also looked at the annual air temperatures, in that 30-year period, they increased by 0.7% to 9.8, 0.7 degrees Celsius to 9.8 uh, degrees. I met Erin are releasing these figures. It's part of a global collection of data that will be published next month by the World Meteorological Organisation. What they do is they get every country to collect the data over the previous 30 years. So It'll make for interesting reading. But for us here in Ireland, we are warmer and wetter. That is the way our weather is going. 0818 103 103. I take it that a lot of people, you may have heard it on the news this morning or if you're opening your newspaper, you won't be surprised to hear that there There are now early indications that people are holding back from paying their television licence. Figures show a drop of more than 30% in licence renewals and that was just for the first week of July when you compare it with the same period last year. They reckon just looking at that 30% uh, drop that will have cost RTE 1 million euro and that's just for one month. Now the the numbers... Um, buying their TV licence in June also dropped and that's leading to one of the Oireachtas media committee members to uh, suggest there was a rapid fall and of course all of this is to do with the secret payments that that led uh, to Ryan Tuberty and the Ryan Tuberty sc- scandal or as his agent would say the RTE scandal and of course it wasn't just secret payments lots more has come out uh, since the Phoenix Gale TD Brendan Griffin who is a member of the Oireachtas media committee he says even with a Rising population, the figures have clearly fallen for June and now they're drastically falling for the first week in July. The figures were released by the Department of Media and they reveal a fall of 6,000 households not paying their €160 licence fee when you compare it to the same period uh, last year. Brendan Griffin, who obtained the figures, said the drop off in compliance, he said that is a considerable figure because in June there had been a smaller number of people not renewing their licence, but the first week in July, that certainly is a large, large drop-off. And he's making the point. This, of course, is going to lead to a serious funding crisis Within RTE. He said RTE and the Minister will need to put in place now a contingency plan to mitigate against the possible effects of continued revenue loss to the state broadcaster. He said it's obvious that a significant proportion of the population has simply lost confidence in the national broadcaster due to all of the recent scandalous um, revelations. And of course, the one way that people can feel that they're having their say is, of course, by not paying their TV licence. Now, we already know that TV licence evasion rate, it's somewhere around 15%. 15% of householders do not pay TV licence. Some people don't have a TV, let's be honest, but others are simply avoiding it and are just not paying it. And because of that, RTE estimate that the broadcaster, they lose 60 million euro in lost revenue every year by the householders that they feel should be paying a television licence but are not. Now, according to the Irish Independent, this was at the weekend, they revealed that the government is likely to reform the TV licence fee into this broadcasting charge. Now, we have spoken about this before in the past. The idea of having this broadcasting charge, which would be collected from every household by the revenue commissioners. And we know the revenue commissioners are very good at collecting charges. All you have to do is look at the local property tax. Revenue commissioners collect the local property tax and there is a very small evasion Number of the people who don't pay their local property tax. So we know the revenue commissioners are good at doing that when they set about it. So if there was a household charge. Everyone would pay regardless of whether you had a television, whether you had ten televisions or whether you had no television. It wouldn't matter. It would be a broadcasting charge because they accept while you might have a household that doesn't have a television, people are still watching. Be they watching it on their phone or on a tablet or on a computer. So that's the idea of a broadcasting charge. Some say it's the fairest way every single household in the country would have to pay it. But there is also been... The, it's been learned that if the taxpayers wanted to fund RTE as a straight broadcaster and to completely scrap RTE being allowed to sell ads, that would mean, obviously that the TV licence would have to go up now if it would also i'm assuming that this figure is based on it being a broadcasting charge and that every household would pay it the charge would be 260 euro and i'm wondering how people feel about that today so you'd be paying an extra 100 euro on top of the current 160 euro charge and that would only apply if the government decided to follow the model that's used across the water for the BBC the BBC All of their funding comes from the television license that is paid for in the UK and they're not allowed to take um, ads. The media minister, Catherine Martin, uh, set out the costs of such a measure. She was asked about it in a parliamentary uh, question, and she said the Future of Media Commission, they done the estimates, and they based it on the reference year of 2019. Now, I worry when it's the reference year of 2019 because things have gone up since then, so I would be assuming if it was put in place this year, it would even be higher. But basing it on 2019 taking a look at RTE, taking a look at the model, how it would be funded, the kind of money it would need and the licence fee or the broadcasting charge that they came up with would have been €260 Euro, uh, per annum. And by doing that, they'd give all the money to RTE and then RTE wouldn't be allowed to sell any ads and then obviously the independent and the commercial sector, they would have the, they would take the advertising uh, instead. But I just don't know if the timing is right for the government to even start talking about a broadcasting charge and certainly I don't think the mood is out there at the moment for people to hear. You're not only going to have to pay the TV licence slash broadcasting charge, but by the way we're going to look for an extra €100 per year as well. I think people would be very, very annoyed about that and we could end up with an issue like what we had against the water charges. I really think people would buck like mad but it's already, the indication is already there with the first week in July, some 6,000 people have not renewed their TV licence. Now that's not to say that they're not going to do it but when you compare it to this time last year 6,000 more people had already renewed their TV uh, licence. Will more be following suit? I know since what are we intending? It it'll be four weeks I think this Thursday since that whole story about the top of payments from, from Ryan Tuberty broke and then of course we heard about the barter account and other payments that came out after that and I know we had countless calls and texts in from people saying that is it, I've always never been a fan of paying the television licence, I'm not going to pay it now but we also heard from many people who said they've always paid their TV licence and this is the first year that they're considering not paying, paying it so it looks like that has already started. 0818103103 103. your thoughts welcomed you can text you can whatsapp to 0862 103 103 Gay in Castletown Roach says Why do RTE show children's films every weekend? Do they not know that children are more interested in playing computer games than are interested in watching silly cartoons? Uh, Gay feels that RTE should be, should be catering for older people at the weekend and she feels that they don't at the moment. Can we give a big shout out to Dr Colin Gleeson? Dr Colin Gleeson in Castletown Bear who is retired. He gave 40 years service without ever closing his surgeries that uh, amazing achievement and that's from Barry in Castletown Bear who wants to wish Dr Colin Gleeson all the best in his retirement and of course the wonderful Dr Fiona Kelly who we've spoken with before on the programme who's under so much pressure as a rural GP and, and a young mother she um, really is uh, amazing the work that she does she's taken over from uh, Dr Gleeson so um, best wishes to Dr Colin Gleeson on his retirement 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls she's sitting in for John Paul who's on his holiday. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103.
3: Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today
4: on c103. Unfortunately, charities say that many parents are struggling to pay voluntary contributions or voluntary charges that so many schools are asking for. In advance of the new school year next September. The Society of St. Vincent de Paul says many parents are contacting them about this voluntary contribution. And joining me from the Societies of Vincent de Paul is Neve Dl, who is Research and Policy Officer with the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. Good morning to you, Neve.
5: Good morning, Patricia. And it's
4: great to talk to you. Now, the Department of Education clearly say there is no compulsion to pay these, in inverted commas, voluntary contributions. Why do so many parents feel the need to pay them?
5: I think so many parents feel the need to pay them because they want to ensure that their child has access to everything or the same things as their peers at school. And most parents or all parents, you could even say, that they don't want to let their child down in any way and they want them to have the same things everyone else has. So that's the motivation, I think, for parents to pay.
4: And some of the schools limit access to certain things if you don't pay the the charge. Is that what you're hearing? What what we've seen is that yes, and um, some schools will say
5: they will limit the access, but in fact they don't. And others will say they limit will limit the access to things like a journal, a locker, and and, and other things, um, and and do actually then limit it. So it's really obvious to the child in that instance and their peers in the classroom. That their parent hasn't paid that voluntary charge,
4: yeah, and nobody wants yeah. their child to stand out and to be different from uh, from anybody else. Um, do you understand why schools request these payments?
5: We we do. From a, a recent piece of research that was carried out on our behalf, we spoke to schools, and and we looked at the figures as well. And we understand that schools funding has been cut hugely in the last um, you know thirteen years. And we look back um, to twenty ten. And schools are having to really make the money that they the funding they receive work as best they can with huge um, inflation for things like light and heating so so we do understand that why that gap is there and why schools need the funding and but they 're looking towards parents for it when really we should be looking at our Department of Education and speaking to them about what what funding schools actually need to run to run themselves and deliver and deliver their education in their community.
4: Yeah, and and I know that the department will come back, and I, I've heard the minister say it countless times that oh look, they gave a, a one-off capitation payment. I think it totaled ninety million in total uh, to offset some of the day-to-day running uh, costs. But I think the problem there was it was a one-off payment.
5: That's exactly it, and and so it, and it was a one-off payment for light and heating, which has tripled in value since twenty ten. You know when you look at the figures, so so actually nine. Ninety million is an increase of forty percent, but schools are having to, for the last years, um, yearly pay you know increase in costs and and not have the money given to them from the department. So fantastic they got that extra funding, but it was one off and actually it wasn't enough to cover what they've been facing for the last few
4: years. So what type of charges are you hearing about, and does it vary from school to school, in different parts of the country?
5: Across, yeah, across all school types, it's really different. You know, we've got several different categories of schools, and um, the charges range from thirty euro, um, up to one school was five hundred and fifty euro. But so, so a huge range. Yeah, the average is about one hundred and forty euro, but 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 an, an awful lot of money for parents to have to hand over. And particularly as well, if you've got more than one child, so you know, there's double the cost. Um, so a huge range and the and huge cost to parents at back to school time. but we actually are also receiving calls now for um, retrospectively for parents to pay it for the past school year. so, so we're not even you know yet at the beginning of the school year. We're at the end of the year just gone by and parents are having to um, think about how they make that payment now.
4: Is that unusual that you're hearing about people trying to pay last year's voluntary contribution? Um,
5: I don't know, if I couldn't say for definite whether it's unusual or not, but perhaps, you know, schools have come towards the end of the year and realised there's some um, outgoings that they haven't yet met. Um, It it seems like, whether it's uh, unusual, it seems like it's increasing, uh, and that's the concern. And like I said, the research did speak to schools who were doing their very utmost to be able to deliver, you know, the education and the support that their pupils need. But actually, they're doing it on on a, a you know a budget that just doesn't meet the cost, um, and and so and so we understand that gap um, from from schools, and they've also told us that they haven't increased the cost in years. One school hadn't increased their voluntary contribution charge in fifteen years, um, so so we understand why they're they're hesitant and they're holding back. But it's it's just a real concern that this huge gap of funding is there.
4: Will some parents, uh, Neve, actually put off paying a bill in order to give the the school the money?
5: We saw a lot of that in the research. Um, We saw, you know, um, parents foregoing food bills, uh, car insurance, rent, um, just having to give up, you know, those essential costs or those, you know, those essential bills so that their child doesn't miss out. And like you said, so that their child isn't, um, made to look any different to their peers so yeah we 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 had examples from parents who were you know giving up their meal at that at that time of year, giving up their main meals themselves and and hiding it from their children, so they didn't want their children to know that 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 was happening to you know that was their situation and um, we had examples people not seeking medical treatment, not getting the support they needed or or their you know uh other costs or even just you know uh those things like clothing or a day's out for the kids given up them so that they could meet meet this charge.
4: Parents will always put their children first. That's the way, the way it's always been. We've got free books, Neve, on a positive for all primary school children uh, from this year, from September for the first time. Is that going to make a, a real difference to some families?
5: It really will. So we've got free school books um, in primary schools from September for the first time. And it's a fantastic move forward. It will make a huge difference. We know that school books are the huge cost, you know, they're the core, largest cost um, for sending your child to school. And that will make a a great difference to parents sending their children to primary school. And that is why St. Vincent de Paul are now looking to the government to provide free school books in secondary school. And so that, again, that huge core central cost will be taken away from parents and the pressure removed.
4: I was reading yesterday there was a lot of newspaper reports that the government are considering another double child benefit. Um, I think it's going to be announced in the in the October budget. Uh, they did it um, uh, once already. Are you pleased to hear that? One-off
5: payments. We do understand that they do alleviate pressure in that moment, but but they aren't enough to help this ongoing difficulty or ongoing problems with people on low income. We want to see... Um, People, young people who are still in school when they reach the age of 18 to still receive their child benefit so that the parents can continue to be able to fund and support them while they're at school. Because at the moment, as soon as you turn 18, whether you're in school or not, that benefit is lost. And we also want to see an, uh, an increase in the qualified child allowance um, for for um, under and over 12. And that, again, those two to ask are ongoing costs that will really make a difference.
4: Okay, and just very finally, Eve, uh, to any parents listening, uh, struggling and worried, particularly about what we we started the conversation about mm. the school's voluntary contribution. What is your advice to them?
5: Well, we want to say that we really understand it is a really difficult time, and St. Vincent de Paul are here to give you support should you need it, and um, you know you're not on your own. We understand voluntary contributions are voluntary, but we know that the way in which they're administered and talked about, it doesn't feel that way. But we'd encourage you to have a conversation with the school we we you know peers and friends and and see where they're they're at as well and if there's support available to you in that way.
4: Yeah, because uh, I do I,
5: understand. Yeah,
4: I have to say when I've spoken about this in in the past, we've heard from school principals who've contacted us who are saying to parents, please reach out because a lot of the yeah. in many cases the principals aren't aware of what's going on uh, at home. You know, and you know many of them have said you know they would never want to see somebody you know go without food, go without clothes, you know, give up paying a bill in order to pay the voluntary contribution so you know talk to your principals
5: Yeah if you can please do and and that's it and, and we know that nobody has decided this is how it should be you know this is the way in which things are done has been developed over years and no principal no one would want to know anyone going without a main meal or light or heating so that they can meet this cost and but there's unfortunately huge shame and a huge difficulty attached to that and saying I, you know I can't provide yeah, this. Yeah it's not which, easy it does, no it's not and it really shouldn't exist particularly in our system where education should be free so so just know that you aren't on your own and that there is support available to you and if you can have that conversation do um, and that we understand it is a really difficult t- thing which is why we are trying to campaign for the end of volunteer contributions and an increase into, um, of funding into schools.
4: Well done, well done. Listen we leave it there Niamh thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank
5: you. Good morning
4: to you. That is uh, Niamh Diel, who is the Research and Policy Officer with the Society of St Vincent de Paul. And just on the funding of uh, schools, Norma Foley, the Minister for uh, Education, you know, she is a pains to point out that significant additional funding has been made available uh, to schools this year. And of course, she's constantly citing what is a landmark, and that's the Free School Books uh, Initiative at Primary Schools. And she said that if individual schools had funded, difficulties. She said they need to make contact with the Department of Education who will look at individual circumstances. Now I wonder how many schools have gone cap in hand to the Department of Education to say we don't have enough money, we don't want to be going to the parents looking for voluntary contributions, will you help us? I would be very interested to hear from any principal who managed to get additional funding uh, from these schools because the Minister for Education says she's very cognizant of the fact of the challenging times that families are living through at the moment and she doesn't want to put any kind of a compulsion place on any individual or any family to make a contribution to a school which she uh, says shouldn't actually be there because she's claiming she's, there's enough funding already. Always And of course, you'll always have somebody coming in, uh, uh, always putting down the parents who are trying to do their best. Somebody says, Patricia in fairness, these parents are getting a great deal from the government. They have free bus, free books. Uh, Some schools are even offering free meals. So in fairness a small contribution is not going to hurt any of these families. Their children are getting an education and for some parents it helps with uh, babysitting and that's kind of very, very... uh I think unkind on families who are really really struggling I mean for you to say a small contribution won't hurt hurt, and maybe 140 euro to you is nothing but to a family who's struggling 140 euro can be the difference between food on the table and paying that voluntary contribution thank you though for you are entitled to your thoughts thank you for your text to 0862 103 103
6: Call Patricia
2: with
4: your comment 0818 103 103 (laughs) Court today on C one oh three. Now pharmacists are warning that medical card patients are needlessly taking up GP's time with up to a million appointments a year by having to get a prescription for an over-the-counter medicine to treat minor ailments which could be administered by the pharmacists themselves. Joining me is Susan O'Dwyer. Susan is head of professional services at the Irish Pharmacy at Union. Good morning to you, Susan.
0: Good morning, Patricia. And,
4: and thank you uh, for joining us. So just outlining to people what's going on here, is it that the patient needs to have a prescription in order to get the medication free? Is, is is that where the issue is?
0: Yeah, that's essentially it. So if you think about some of the common conditions that most of us will probably have experienced at some time in our life, whether that's a headache or a cough, cold, um, athlete's foot, if you are a patient that has an ability to pay you can come into the pharmacy, have a discussion with your pharmacist about your symptoms and they can then give you some advice on how to manage your condition but also provide you with some treatment that you purchase yourself over the counter we call it. and um, So that's without the need for a prescription. But if you have a medical card and you don't have that ability to pay yourself out of pocket for that medication, those treatments may be available on the medical card. But you need to go to the doctor to get a prescription to then bring it back to the pharmacy who then give you that medication that they may well have recommended to you if you had presented in the pharmacy in the first place.
4: Yeah. And there's a lot of minor ailments, isn't isn't there, under this that you're talking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's schemes like this that operate in a number of different countries. In Wales, there's 26 conditions that are kind of common clinical conditions. In Scotland, it's 29. So there's lots of things, and there are things that most of us will experience at some point in our lives. Um, they're generally very minor. They're what we call self-limiting, so they clear up by themselves. Um, and they are really something that you can manage yourself with a little bit of support and advice from your pharmacist um, and also maybe some treatment if that's required. It's not always required. Sometimes just a little bit of self-care advice is all that's needed. Um, so just being able to access that consultation, get the advice... And I suppose it's also important to note that sometimes you won't be able to get treated in the pharmacy and you might need to be referred. But the pharmacist can make that decision based on the symptoms and what you're presenting with.
4: And it's not in any way that you want to take over from GPs?
0: No, not at all. This is about just increasing access points, really, in primary care. So we've got a number of people, a number of healthcare professionals that work in primary care. Pharmacists and GPs work together all the time and we work side by side. And it's about just making sure that the appointments that are in GP practice are neat. You know, if you have somebody that has maybe high blood pressure and needs to be assessed, maybe the best place for that person is the GP. But if they have a sore throat, maybe they can be looked after in the pharmacy. So it's about just... Care. We call it sometimes care at the lowest level of complexity. Don't go to A&E if it's something that's very minor. It would be a more extreme example. But it just means that the more people that are providing services like this and the more accessible they are to everyone, so people that have an ability to pay but also people that don't and maybe be dependent on medical cards, then more people can access care at, at more different points and it just means more people are seen. So you're freeing up GP appointments for things that are potentially slightly more serious and you're allowing the pharmacist to manage the less complex conditions and, of course, referring if necessary, if those conditions or symptoms are not maybe necessarily, uh, let's say, self-limiting or minor. So pharmacists can determine that. They do that all the time um, and they refer in the appropriate way.
4: Yeah, I get frustrated because, Susan, this is a complete no-brainer, really, because we know that GP surgeries nationwide are under huge pressure at the moment. We're constantly hearing from some of our listeners who are can't even get in to see their GP.
0: Yeah, GPs are like there's massive capacity issues in GP practice, but there's also huge increases in demand. So you've got a more ageing population, you've got more and more chronic disease. Um, and that couple of manpower issues means that it's difficult. There's, there's, so there are capacity issues that the GPs have flagged. And... I suppose trying to then say that means that people won't be able to get in, they won't be able to get to see their GP potentially or maybe not get to see them as quickly as they might need to. So why not utilise the existing network of community pharmacy that's there, that's alongside GPs in primary care and therefore allow more people to access care in a more timely manner.
4: Now, this isn't the first time that your union has, has spoken about this. I mean, I've spoken in the past uh, with the Irish Pharmacy Union. Who, who's been who's against the suggestion and why?
0: Um, I think. It's just been a case that it hasn't really progressed. There was a pilot done in 2016 and it showed that it was safely, it was possible to safely deliver the service in community pharmacy setting, but it was very limited in scope. It was focused on non-prescription um, treatments that already have GMS code. So those are things that you could get on a, a medical card prescription. Um, but it meant that there was a very limited number of treatments and it was very limited in its scope. So therefore it didn't maybe show the same benefits that it could do if the scope was widened. Now, I will say that the Department of Health are looking at this and they are, they do seem to be quite interested in seeing if there is something that we can do in terms of working together. And when I say working together, have a multidisciplinary group of people get together within the HSE, look at all the various conditions, look at the various treatment protocols that would need to be put in place and come up with something structured that allows for standardised care across um, both general practice and pharmacy where people present for these common conditions. So I'm hopeful that we might make some progress, mm. um, and we're certainly talking to the department about it at this point in time.
4: Great, mind. great. Because yeah. uh, you're not looking to reinvent the wheel. As, as you've mentioned, it's run in other countries. I know a couple of years ago, speaking with a pharmacist who was quite shocked they'd worked overseas, they were in Scotland, couldn't believe yeah. when they came back here. The yep. little amount that they could, you know, that, you know, what they were able to do in, in Scotland. So like, yep. it, you know, there, you can look to other countries to see how minor ailment schemes run.
0: Oh, absolutely! Like the pharmacy first scheme, there was a mine Raymond scheme in Scotland running for years. They've now called it the pharmacy first scheme, and it's really encouraging people to go to their pharmacy first. The pharmacists would do a consultation, provide them with advice or treatment or referral, as I say, and it's been hugely successful. There's been pharmacy first has been operating since 2020, and there was over two million consultations in the first year. So it just shows that when you empower people to do it and provide the the funding and the structures, I guess, to allow that to happen, it will be a very vital part of the healthcare service so I would say absolutely let's look internationally and see what's done
4: And of course we know an extra I think it's about half a million people are due to get a free GP visit card which is fantastic but that's going to put huge amount of stress on a system that's already struggling isn't it?
0: absolutely like that's the increase in numbers is really positive development but it's only positive if people can access the service and if you've got huge numbers of people presenting you've already got the capacity issues as we've talked about a little while ago it can be quite difficult to get a gp appointment then in practice it might not make a lot of difference unless there's other things that are put in place to support the gps to be able to manage that and we believe that something like a minor ailment scheme would really do that and just increase those access points
4: Okay all right and did did I read somewhere um Susan that there's also an issue with the payments that pharmacies receive for dispensing medicines is it true it hasn't increased in over 15 years Yeah so it was it's
0: lower now than in 2019 but the costs that we are actually paying to deliver the services are increasing all the time so we had our cost cut as, along with a lot of other people in, term, in the financial crisis. But unfortunately, unlike almost everybody else, we haven't had any of those cuts resolved um, or reversed. So at this point, we do need funding to make sure that our core services can be delivered um, and then allow us to take on these extra services as well.
4: OK, well, listen, we'll follow this with great interest because, as I said, at one stage, it really is a no brainer. Uh, Susan, thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you very much. Good morning, Jim. Susan O'Dwyer, Head of Professional Services at the Irish Pharmacy uh, Union. And we all have our local friendly uh, pharmacists who do fantastic work. And if there's anything extra that they can do that can relieve pressure on the GPs, I think that has got to be welcome. Welcome to Talking GPs. Michael in casaldon also wants to add to the commentary when I mentioned a happy retirement to Dr. Con Gleeson after 40 years plus of brilliant service to the people of the Bearing Uh, Peninsula. Michael says, I clearly remember when he came down from Cork City to these shores. A brilliant young, energetic doctor who never rested in his chair. A complete breath of fresh air for the Bearer Peninsula and he still hasn't lost it. Michael says, I want to wish him and his wife Maggie and all of his family every success in the future. I do know one thing uh, for sure, he will not be sitting back in his chair. Thank you for that Michael. And actually Michael also I I spotted an earlier WhatsApp in from uh, Michael and this is to do with the new Alzheimer drug and I know I was speaking with Bernie in the office this morning before we came on air and I've asked her to see if we can get somebody. I'm really interested to talk to somebody about this new Alzheimer drug that is making the news at the moment. Now according to Michael it's not a cure but data is telling us that this drug is effective in slowing down the progression of Alzheimer's disease. For example 40% of the trial participants had a slower Progression in their activities, that's in daily living, and that you know means like things like managing their finances, you know, chatting and uh, speaking with friends, uh, taking part in their daily hobbies. For example, it was a thirty-five percent reduction in the clinical decline in dementia, and that equates to anything between four and seven months reduction. In the progression of dementia. That's quite significant uh, to some people, particularly older uh, people. That four to seven months is a huge, huge difference. The, you know, the drug obviously is only suitable to people who are in the very early stages of Alzheimer's disease and trials are, are still ongoing right now, even on people who are pre-symptomatic. It's a massive breakthrough clinically. At the moment it isn't suitable for everyone. It's, it, it's not highly effective and it's not perfect but it's a good start. Now obviously as with any new drugs there are and will be uh, some side effects but on the brighter side says Michael it looks very promising down the road in years to come it really does look like they finally have that breakthrough on Alzheimer's which scientists have been working on for years so I think it is a real, real good news story and as I say we are hoping as we go through the week uh, to try to get somebody on just to talk a little bit more about it because I know there will be uh, a lot of people interested in that Bernie's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103. 103. Texter, listening to my chat with uh, Susan of the Irish Pharmacy Union saying use your pharmacy uh, more uh, wants to point out that not all pharmacists are on the same page. Texter says ironically I visited a well-known chain of pharmacies recently and I wanted to purchase some relief as I get migraines and I have done for years. I don't get them too often but I take one of these relief tablets when I feel one coming on. relief is available over the counter and I simply pay for it. This time the pharmacy staff told me that I really should go to the doctor to get a prescription, even though a prescription isn't necessary for this particular drug. I asked, why would I pay an extra 60 euro to my doctor for a 10 euro medication that I use with any bad reaction and I've been using it for a very long time and I've never overused it. She said, it will be better for you if you went to chat with your doctor. Patricia, my GP knows that I get occasional migraines, and he also knows that I can get this my, this medication over the counter without using up his limited time. Pharmacies need to talk to each other. That's uh, disappointing. If it's a product that you can buy over the counter, I would be suggesting that you go to a different pharmacy to get to get that particular um, drug. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Our lines are open. Bernie's taking the calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 0862- 103 103. Michael was just listening to the news report and says uh, we constantly hear on the news the the trolley figures which we get from the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation. Michael says I hear them give out the numbers that are on trolleys I'd love to know if they would give us the figures for the numbers of patients ready for discharge. That would be a far more balanced uh, reporting and it would be much uh, appreciated. Yeah, it would be interesting to see wouldn't it because if you have there are so many people ready for discharge but they can't get the step down facilities and of course that in turn then, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation will tell you, forms the backlog then that goes on with the numbers on the trolleys because they can't get up into the wards because the people who are up in the wards who are ready to go home, either with a home care package or ready to go onto a nursing home, can't find a bed. So yeah it's a, it would be interesting to compare both figures every day, uh, Michael. Thank you for your text 0862 103 103 and um, Mary in from Mitchellstown says Morning, Patricia. Listening to C103 in a sweltering 39 degrees heat in Spain. Whoa, that is hot at this hour of the morning. I had to go to a chemist. Mary said uh, yesterday, and the pharmacist there was ever so helpful. I'd forgotten my tablets, i.e., my HRT tablets. They gracefully, without any fuss, prescribed me with my tablets. And now, if that was at home, there would have been a song and dance. Is it not high time that the Irish pharmacies, the uh, pharmacists, to go to took some of the weight off the GPs and let the doctors then be able to take on more patients. And that's exactly, I have to say, Mary, in the Irish Pharmacy Union's defence, that's exactly what they want to do, but their hands are tied at the moment, unfortunately. Hola, adios, amigos. <laughs> signed with three kisses from Mary and the gang from uh, Mitchellstown. Enjoy your holidays in sweltering Spain and actually we are going to be talking about the hot spots around uh, Europe on this hour of the programme and offering advice to people who are travelling and advice to people like Mary and the gang of Mitchellstown who are listening to us in sweltering uh, Spain. 0818 103 103 on voluntary contributions that we mentioned earlier uh, on the programme. John in Mallow If the contribution is voluntary, why doesn't the government bring in a law to abolish it and make it illegal for schools to ask for voluntary contributions? Yeah, because I know the Minister for Education is at pains every time she gets asked about voluntary contributions. She keeps going on about the amount of money that they're giving to the uh, schools. You only spoke recently about the one-off payments that they made last year, some something like €90 million. Euro, and that was to cover the extra heating costs and electricity costs. And she's saying that if individual schools have problems and it's back to the Department of Education, uh, she, that they should be going. She's always saying that nobody should be forced to pay the voluntary contribution. But I thought, listening to uh, uh, Niamh DL of the sites of Vincent de Paul who are hearing from on average 200, patient, 200 people a month are coming to them saying can you give me help please I need money to pay the voluntary uh, contribution uh, she understands Vincent de Paul understands why the school asks have to ask uh, you know it's not like they're looking for the money for luxuries in the school They're looking for the money to keep the light on, to keep the heating on, to pay the insurance and all the other ancillary costs that come with uh, running a a school. So, yeah, if the minister feels that she is properly funding the schools, then yes, John, she should do something like that, bring in a law to abolish it. And then when I mentioned there is expected to be a double child benefit payment on the way. Someone says, morning, Patricia, more double child benefit payments on the way. I work full time. What do I get? Nothing. I am child free by choice. If you have to rely on the state to provide for your children, then you need to rethink your choices. Uh, says somebody who's childless and objects to anyone getting a double child benefit payment. 0818 103 103. Schools, says another texter, were subsidised for decades by the religious orders who put every penny that they made back into the schools that they ran. People have always been very quick to blame all nuns, all priests, all brothers for the horrible behaviour of a minority of cretins, but the majority of these religious people were incredibly generous of heart, giving all that they owned to the citizens of this state. Taxpayers, as a consequence, never had to pay the full cost of the education service because the nuns, the priests and the brothers we're picking up the flak. Indeed in the past many paid nothing at all. We only have to visit Nanonagle Place in Cork City to open our eyes to this now ignored reality in our uh, history. Uh, And you are right. You you are right. That was one of the reasons the schools uh, didn't need to look for money because of the work that was done by nuns and by uh, the brothers. You are right. But then of course we're living in a different era with the cost of living and all that. Actually just on education there's a report out showing there is a steady decrease recorded in the number of enrolments to Catholic primary schools uh, since 2018. The only year it bucked the trend was last year but that was due to the Ukrainian uh, students that came and they are predominantly Catholics and they went to local Catholic uh, schools. Now in still in this country the vast majority of primary schools here are still Catholic eth- ethos just under 89% but um, it, it, that's over the last, in the, the last Ten years, I think uh, that's the figure it is. But over the same 10 years, the number of multi-denominational schools is in, uh, increased by 69. So many parents are opting if they have that choice in their area to go for a denominational um, school. Now, back to the fall off in the numbers of people paying their TV licence, which we reckon now costing RTE about a million euros morning, Patricia. Anyone that willingly pays their bills, I guarantee you, will pay their TV licence as they always done. And we're so sick of hearing about the Ryan Tupperty scenario. What about all of the developers that have had millions written off against them and those that went into liquidation one day? And guess what? Started up as a new business the next day, just under a different name. And lo and behold, our politicians who are far from the purest of the pure, squandering. Could be their middle name, but as Tuberty is climbing Mount Calvary at the moment, like our Lord, the mantra they're crucifying him. Why so because he's always been an honorable human being, and those who love controversy love to get something on a good man and of course we in this country seem to be great for kicking a good man when he's down as well anyway this texter says give it a break for all of our sakes or do we have to turn off the radio completely best wishes Patricia <laughs> thank you thank you for that hi Patricia if the price of the TV licence was to go up by 100 euro as has been speculated speculated that is just absolutely shocking most programmes on RTA repeats there's actually very little on it they really need to look at this it's great to be able to listen to radio thank you for that Hi Patricia, I paid the TV licence. My TV licence was due on the 1st of August so I've, al- I've already paid it even though I don't watch RTE and I don't listen to non-RTE radio channels. And I listen to non-sorry. I, I don't watch RTE and I, don't, and I listen to non-RTE radio channels. If people do not pay... I would be fearful. Could it damage their credit rating? And I don't know. I suppose if you end up before the courts, I don't know. But I know the numbers and there's been a staggering number of people ended up before the courts for non-payment of TV licence. But generally speaking, what happens is they go into court and then by the time they get into court, they have it paid and then they're, they're let off. Now, does that, does that affect their credit rating? I don't know, but I think people would have a fear of that. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. Hi, Patricia. Can you tell me why didn't the auditors... ...report the goings-on in RTE long before now. Presumably, they were carrying out audits annually. Is this more of the government's light-touch regulations that allowed the banks to bankrupt this country? The RTE board also failed to do their job in managing RTE. Let's remember that RTE, that Ryan Tuberty has broken no law whatsoever. All he did was to pay a company to negotiate a salary for him. Look at all the money he's raised for good causes and all of the positivity he's generated on his TV show. The public are a scurrilous lot with very, very short memories. And That's from Pat in uh, Cork. All right, that's some of your texts and comments coming in. But I want to go to a text that has just come in because I certainly am interested in listeners' thoughts on uh, this, please. Hi, Patricia. I just want you to throw this out to your listeners and I would welcome their thoughts and comments, please. My two grandchildren... One is aged 13 and the youngest is 10. They're away on a four day break outside of uh, Ireland with their dad, who incidentally is not currently with their mum. Their parents have separated. The first two nights they stayed in a hotel, and the last two nights they've stayed with a friend of their dad's. The grandchildren brought spending money with them, but their dad has made the 13 year old. Pay for the taxis that totaled 53 euro so far. I thought this was totally unfair on the children. Now, the dad does pay maintenance. He pays maintenance of 60 euro per week for both children. 60 euro per week, so 30 euro per child. Okay. And for nine years, he only paid 35 euro per week in total. Now, it's not that he can't afford it. He works. He has other income also coming into the house. He was able to do up his own house in the last two years. I'm wondering what is your listeners' take on this? I feel so sorry. For my 13-year-old grandchild, we had told them not to bring us back anything, to get something nice for themselves by by way of remembering the trip. I'm raging because now, that, now they're paying the money on costs that are associated with the holiday. Yeah, and grandparents will always do that when the grandchildren are heading away. Give them a bit of pocket money and you will, don't be worried about buying me anything, just spend it on yourself. But to think that they they've been forced to spend it on taxis and fifty three euro for a thirteen year old is a lot of money to pay out on on taxis. I don't know what the dad is thinking of. Is he trying to teach the child how to use his money sensibly? I I really I I'm I'm aghast. I just don't know where that's coming from. Especially when you claim the dad financially is okay and he's able to afford it. I'm also more taken aback. 60 euro uh, per week. Is that standard maintenance, 30 euro per week per child? Is that what the going rate for maintenance is? I I thought it would be more expensive than that. Anyway, um, and I'm sure there are many others in the same situation as this. Is that a common thing that when the kids go away with with one of the other parents, that their spending money is used to fund part of the holiday. Let's uh, welcome your thoughts and comments on it, please. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. 103 jobs. Now, Aldi are holding a recruitment uh, open day. It is on today, between 3 and 7 this afternoon. It'll be in the Caroline... The Carrigaline Court Hotel. If you're going along, you need to bring your CV with you. If you can't make it to the Carrigaline Court Hotel, you can always apply online at aldirecruitment.ie. Fitzgerald Construction in Mallow, they've got vacancy for both skilled and semi skilled operatives. Now, a full driver's license and safe pass are essential and the ability to work with general power tools. CVs please to info at fitzgeraldconstruction.ie. A full-time admin assistant is wanted in Anakisha in Mallow. CVs, please, to farmcoag.office1 at gmail.com. And Murphy's Pharmacy, they're in Bojabui. They've got a vacancy for a front-of-shop sales slash supervisor. CV and a cover letter, please, to murphys.pharmacyjobs at gmail.com. And uh, please have your application in by the 31st of July. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
3: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: Cork Today on C103. And just on parents and the hope that parents are going to get an extra Double child benefit. It's been spoken about as part of the negotiations for the next budget. Hi, Patricia. I agree. Why are parents getting everything in the budget? They're already getting free books now at primary school. Free bus. Now, not everyone has free bus, but some people have free bus. Okay. Um, free under six medical cards. They get tax relief. They get parental leave. Uh, they get, they're now getting extra parents leave. And now they're going to get extra children's allowance. Other co- other families are childless. They are working full-time trying to pay mortgages and they're trying to do that all on their own, trying to run cars to get to and from work. If I have to pay rent our mortgage, I go to a garage with my car. I get no allowances. The government needs to wake up and divide the budget fairly. It seems to be all for uh, families. And I suppose the government will say that the families uh, need the extra money at the moment but yeah I can, I can absolutely sense your uh, frustration uh, on that. 0818 uh, 103 uh, 103. Are we going through with this Bernie? No? Uh, okay i'm waiting on bernie to uh, to pass me through uh, my next uh, interview while i'm waiting just to remind you that nick richards and the c103 st- street fleet will be live from mallow credit union now that's happening this friday and nick is going along to mallow credit union because it is to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the opening of mallow credit union so we're inviting you please to be at mallow credit union on bank place in mallow in the afternoon anytime between 1 and 4. There'll be lots of giveaways as always with Nick Richards there will be great music and so much more. That's Nick Richards live from the Mallow Credit Union Bank Place in Mallow and that is happening this Friday between 1 and 4. Please come along and help us to be part of the celebrations with C103. Now while we continue to see endless rain in this country, the same can be said for, the same can't be said for mainland Europe. There heading into another week of sweltering temperatures. So how are Irish holidaymakers getting on and how do you prepare if you're travelling in the coming days? Joining me is Karen Kelleher, who is a senior travel consultant with Barters Travel in Abandon. Good morning to you, Karen. Hi, good
6: morning, Patricia. How are I, doing? I'm very
4: well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, what, what are the main countries where we are expecting these record temperatures are going to hit across this week?
6: Well, you're looking at uh, Italy, southern Spain, um, you're looking at Sardinia particularly, generally the uh, Italian resorts seem to be experiencing some really intense uh, temperatures, Greek, the Greek uh, just resorts as well. Um, but there, uh, to be totally honest with you, we haven't seen um, any uh, reduction in inquiries still for last minute holidays. People are still clamoring to get away.
4: That's interesting. Um, That's interesting. I I thought there might have been a drop-off in the last-minute bookings. No,
6: not at all. I mean, there are other options that people can look at if they uh, want to go on holidays. And we find that we're looking at maybe parts of France. Now people can go on the ferry Mm. uh, for either, you know, to Ross there and then maybe take a campsite there in Brittany or in the Bondi area and you still will experience high temperatures traditionally at this time of the year. I suppose you're on the Atlantic, so the weather, uh, you know, the temperatures aren't as intense as they are further south. Yeah. Uh, but having said that, people are still travelling, Patricia, and yeah. we still have a lot of last-minute inquiries coming through and, uh, the
4: uh, office here in Bandon. And are people inquiring about, oh, is that in the red zone? Are people asking you what no. the temp? no, okay.
6: No, not at all. What do they say? Mad
4: dogs and Englishmen and Irishmen. You know,
6: yeah. You know, I suppose, you know, to be honest with you, in resorts, I mean, these are extreme temperatures, don't get me wrong. But I mean, you can experience very high temperatures in resorts at this time of the year. And you just have to be mindful of that and be sensible. Drink plenty of water, keep hydrated, you know, use your sunscreen, stay out of. the sun, you know, the direct sunlight, you know, when the temperatures are at their peak. Mm. Um, But having said that, as I say, people are still travelling. We haven't had anybody ringing to say, look, we're really uncomfortable about travelling. We're not sure. I mean, I suppose they have said that these temperatures hopefully will start to come down uh, towards the end of this month. So, um, you know, as I say, people are still travelling. And, um, you know, thankfully, uh, we haven't heard of anybody experiencing, you know, any... um, you know, intense or sort of, you know, extreme uh, illness or anything from these uh, temperatures.
4: Yeah, and, and it's interesting to see that nobody is cancelling. Nobody's ringing no. up saying, I'm not going anywhere near that because of the heat. No. No, No. well, I suppose
6: that that the issue there, uh, Patricia, I suppose the regular terms and conditions with the airlines and tour operators and uh, suppliers for accommodation will, you know, these are, what would you say, uh, unforeseen circumstances. Now, to be fair, we will, of course, try and accommodate customers if they felt that they didn't want to travel and see if we can, um, you know, amend a booking. I mean, there are. Uh, options to change dates for travel all subject to availability
4: of course you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and there is the, there is and we're, we're back now Covid is thankfully but a distant uh, memory mm-hmm. there is that urge isn't there just to get away and to yeah. feel sun on your bones
6: Absolutely. And I think more, uh, more so this year than, you know, I mean, we, there was certainly a, a recovery last year, but this year has been exceptional with the high demand. People that have never travelled before are keen to get away with their family or friends and just experience um, a holiday um, abroad. And I suppose as well, the other factor. Patricia, it's so expensive here in this country now to holiday. And you know, I suppose people want value for money and more and more um, clients, as I say, this year are travelling than we've ever seen before. It's just been unprecedented. Is
4: there good value there is
6: good value. I mean, there's something to suit every budget. I mean, that's what we are here to do. I mean, I, I just, as I said, before you came on there, and I just had a quick look, and there is still some very good last-minute offers, we'll say, to the likes of France, taking your car and the ferry, particularly for big families, because Irish families generally are 2 plus 3 yeah. or 2 plus 2. And, like, just to give you an idea there now, we'll say on the 21st of August for a week, we can offer availability to France on the ferry from uh, Ross a three-bedroomed mobile home on-site with loads of activities for the kids for a family of five for less than €2,300. Euros. I mean, that's a fantastic value.
4: Yeah, and, and those campsites in France, particularly if you've got children, are such great fun.
6: Oh, they're unbelievable. I mean, the kids will be entertained from morning till night. It's very relaxed, um, you know, plenty of facilities on-site with kiddies clubs and loads of activities. And as I say, you know, if people were concerned about the intense temperatures, these uh, destinations like Brittany, we say the Vondi in France, these areas are hugely popular with families. And you have like the holiday starts when you get on the ferry. Yeah. So yeah. like it's, it's, it's a real fun experience for families. And there is good value to be had. I mean.
2: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
6: uh, Majorca, mainland Spain, Portugal, I mean these areas that are experiencing some extreme temperatures. The, 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 uh, the, the price point at the minute for those destinations is quite high because there's so much demand. Mm. So like it's kind of a direct contradiction of what they're saying in the media that people are changing their minds. They're not. They but are. I just think you need to be a bit sensible in the sun. I mean that, that just goes without
4: saying. And I always, I always think that the best piece of advice is to behave like the locals. You won't see the locals out in the middle of the score
6: No, no, no. And I mean, that's been the case for years, Patricia. We're not used to those, these high temperatures in Ireland. You know, we're not. So like as you say, if you if you behave, you know, like the locals, you know, keep yourself hydrated. Use sunscreen and stay out when the temperatures are at their peak, which traditionally kind of would be from the middle of the afternoon until, uh, you know, the evening. I mean, hopefully clients can still enjoy, uh, you know, the resort. Um, over the coming weeks. And as I say, these temperatures, please God, will subside you know, yeah, as and the weeks goes on. get you back
4: know? to the, to the Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I have to say, uh, Karen, I couldn't believe when they had to close the Acropolis in in I Greece. Know. And I was thinking, mm. I mean, it was I think it was 45 degrees. I was thinking, who was climbing the Acropolis in the middle of the day? <laughs> Just nuts. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely nuts. Talk to me about mm. cruises. Are, are cruises back in, because after oh what happened yeah. with COVID, there was, oh, no yeah. one no, will ever go back on a cruise again. Yeah. There Cruising seems to be is, a hugely no, no, huge popular. Demand, yeah.
6: Mm, they are very, very popular. And again, like that for families, we have a lot of repeat uh, cruisers that go year after year. They're exceptionally good value for money because basically, like you uh, go on board, all of your uh, meals and drinks are catered for you, all your entertainment. And like the uh, variety of the ports of call that you can visit over the course of a week is incredible, you know. And like there is great options for doing extra excursions if you want to come off the ships. And then, as I say, Um, something for everybody, really, with cruising, Patricia. And it really has bounced back. I mean, it's just hugely popular now with all of our clients.
4: Because there used to be the notion, Karen, that cruising was for the old dears and the retired oh couples. God,
6: not a, not <laughs> at all. Not yeah. at all. I mean, you'd have honeymooners. We'd have yeah. people with young families travel on cruising now. Again, like that, it's, what, it's all about value for money, Patricia. Yeah. And, you know, it's a great way, particularly I think now even with young teens, to go and visit all these amazing ports in Europe, bring your kids with you. You can come off and do all of these different excursions. There's something on board for everybody. I mean, these cruise liners... Some of them are like little holiday villages now. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, the entertainment that they provide on board for their clients is exceptional. And as I say, uh, we have just uh, found that there's so much demand for cruising. People get a taste of it and they just want to go back time and time again. Yeah, they
4: say that once you do it once, you, you'll keep going back. Mm. Okay, a listener is worried about Dublin Airport and parking. Uh, is it still an issue? She's flying out mid August, but unsure if she's going to drive to the airport or not. Does Karen know anything about booking at Dublin Airport for car parking? That well, has my, been an my... issue.
6: Yeah, it has been an issue, but my advice to that customer would be to book her car space nice and early. You know, I Mm -hmm. mean, you have to be um, prepared, I suppose, you know, it's high demand uh, period. I've seen myself uh, you know, comments from people um, online and so on about the the lack of parking at Dublin Airport. But it's all about being, you know, sensible and booking well in advance just to secure your car parking space.
4: Yeah, I suppose the issue here is she's undecided whether she's going to drive or not. You need to make the decision. Yeah. If you're going to drive, yeah. you're going to book yeah. because waiting yeah. last minute you may end up no, with no, no, no parking space. Yeah,
6: and that's very true. And like once you're looking at the peak months for travel as well, Patricia, you're looking at June, July, August, even into early September now. These are high demand dates. And I suppose like that, there's limited spaces available at Carpeck park Parking at Dublin Airport. So like you have to make the decision. And as you said, book nice and early to mm. be guaranteed of your car space. Yeah,
4: for sure. John and Cove says, could you ask Karen, do people still need to have the COVID jab if they're going on a cruise ship? No. No, that's no, gone. Not, no, that's no. gone, yeah. Okay, all right listen uh, Karen thank you for that and you're busy in in Barter Travel in Bandon we are very busy
6: very very busy great Patricia and uh, we're always here to help So, um, and we're in the old market shopping centre in Bandon so always feel free to call in and we'd be happy to help with any queries or inquiries that people may have
4: thanks a million Karen have a good day thanks for joining us you too bye bye bye. bye. Karen Kelleher uh, she's with the Irish Travel Agents Association and they're at Barter Travel uh, in uh, Bandon somebody is picking me up and said, Eddie in West Cork says, Patricia, you think COVID is but a distant memory. I should have said the pandemic probably is but a distant memory. Uh, Eddie said his friend, his friend did an operation in a Cork, Cork hospital. He got an infection after coming out and had to go to CUH and he got COVID while in Hospital COVID. Oh, listen, I'm not saying COVID is gone. It 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 is still there. But when I say a distant memory, a distant memory with regards to the pandemic and how we weren't able to leave this shores. That's what I was thinking about. O eight one eight one oh three one oh three. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to O eight six two one oh three
3: one oh three. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at C one oh three dot IE.
4: Court today on C103. Now, this Friday for one night only, a youth project called Prom Queen, the Movement, will be staged at the Everyman. The show is written and directed by pupils at Killarney Community College. And joining me is the co-director, and that is Rachel Griffin. Good morning to you, Rachel. Uh, Good morning, how are you? I'm I'm very well, and it's a real pleasure to, to speak to you. I suppose, take me back. Tell me how this show came about. So... Um,
7: My very good friend, Sinead Marie, who's my fellow pupil at Clarny Community College, um, she started writing this show when she was only about 11 years of age and we would have grown up together. We'd be really good friends. And she had kind of reached out to me to see if I could help her out. And our journey really started back in 2021 when we hosted a virtual concert to raise funds to potentially put this production on a local stage in Clarny, the INEC, which was our big ambition. So when we hosted the virtual concert, we started gathering a bit of attention from the local youth of people that wanted to audition for the show. So we raised funds that way. We started a GoFundMe and then we started rehearsing once the show was complete, um, once the writing of the show was complete. And then last November on the 21st, um, we had the show up on the stage. So the Fantastic. dream girl was kind of existing
4: since she was... Only 11. <laughs> Fantastic. That really is amazing. Now, talk me through the themes that you cover in this show, Prom Queen.
7: Yes, yeah, so Prom Queen is all about tackling the modern questions, daunting questions in today's society. So we would tackled many various issues and topics that would be considerably topical at the moment. And obviously facing back to what teenagers would have faced many years ago, such as bullying being a huge theme domestic abuse, LGBTQ plus representation and also references to suicide. So a lot of it is mental health orientated, um, particularly amongst young people.
4: And it's an all singing and dancing show.
7: Yeah, exactly. So the current title that we go by is Prom Queen, the movement in concert. But it's really a production inspired by musical theatre. So there's singing, dancing with modern hits that you would recognise because it's jukebox, which means the songs weren't self-composed. They're songs that people would know.
4: Okay. And is it very much aimed at a teenage audience or open to all ages?
7: We would say open to all ages okay. because it's all striving for education. So it's something we would encourage. If there's a family sitting at home on Friday evening looking for something to do, group of friends that would find it interesting to see themselves represented accurately up on a stage, we would say for all. However, we would say there would be a discretion as regards to when it comes to younger children coming to see the show. It is a personal choice. There is, you know, there would be bad language and obviously references to very heavy topics. But we would say we think a parent would benefit just as much as the child would.
4: And what reaction have you been getting to the show, Rachel?
7: Um, I must admit we've had loads of support within the locality Um, when it came to putting on the show the first time reaching out to local news outlets has been fantastic Um, but obviously now that we're wanting to take this on a national level um, there is a difficulty in that process you know because we do have shows as well that are going to branch outside of court we're heading to leash and Clare Um, but I must admit that the feedback has been phenomenal we've got loads of supportive emails however we still do encourage you know looking into buying tickets. That's something we're still trying to heavily encourage just because we are hitting the road. As you said, this Friday is starting the everyone. Um, but yeah, I think it's because since we're a youth group that are very independent to what we do and we're non profitable. So all of this is voluntary and obviously it's ran by young people written by young people for young people. It's you know, I think it looks very attractive to someone in today's society because that's what they're looking for is the young voices to speak out. So I will admit we have had a lot of support.
4: It's brilliant. And it's and how many involved in the production? So, out, out
7: of cast members, we'd have about 26. Okay. Uh, 26 cast members. And then we would have, we were very fortunate to have our vocal coach, Michaela Crowley, who'd be local. And then the project coordinator, Katrine, and myself and Sinead. So between all of us and a load of the mothers have been really supportive <laughs> amongst cast too. So I would say, yeah, I'd say maybe a crew of, if I say maybe, a team of five or six as regards to from a crew point of view but yeah our cast members our lucky cast are 26.
4: And did you manage to put it on in the INEC? We did. We did. Last
7: November on the 21st and 22nd we managed to put it up on the stage and it got great um, reception hence why we wanted to take it further and bring it out to uh, a larger audience.
4: And I know you're, you're 18. Are you still in school or have you done your Leaving Cert? So I
7: actually sat my Leaving Cert in June. Okay. Um, so I'm have that out of the way but this has been a project that's been ongoing and we've been working on it for such a long time at this point. Um, but yeah, that was interesting to tackle my leaving service was trying to obviously put this production up at the stages but we're very excited to get started with the tour. We're very excited.
4: And career-wise, is, is, is this kind of the road you want to go down?
7: Almost oh, certainly. Um, I'm... Are, Well, I'd say for myself anyways, I'm hoping to attend um, the Cork School of Music um, to do theatre and drama just because I would be very interested in the directing aspects that would really be where I'd grow in that place. Um, And I just love, you know, having a group of friends that are obviously a group of cast that are very talented, but also my friends within that. Um, to be just exceptional and being able to blow me away every time it's definitely like what ignited a spark for me to want to pursue this in the future.
4: But this is your first time in a director role is it?
7: Um, it, it would be. I mean aside from like little home videos that I might have made as a kid but yeah. like this would be obviously the biggest directing role that I've had obviously alongside Sinead as well between the two of us just it has been an experience, but a very, very enjoyable one, I must say.
4: Well done, well done. I, th- I think it's fantastic to see young people with that kind of initiative, and the fact that there's there's a message mm-hmm. in it yeah. is 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 really brilliant. Uh, and you managed to raise all the funding yourself through through fundraising. Oh,
7: yeah, so through fundraising events, we actually. Last time around as well, and we've had a few of our cast members go out doing busking. So it's really anything. We do have a GoFundMe set up, which I would encourage people as well if this is my time to give a little bit. Go of on. A, plug <laughs> and a promo. Yeah. Um. You know yourself. So across all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, we are at Prom Queen The Movement, which is where you can find the link to our GoFundMe or tickets if you're interested. Um. But it's mainly been through virtual outlets that we've been able to raise our funding. Because when it comes to, obviously, now everything's technology. So when people can pick up their credit cards and they don't have to move off of their couch, it is really handy for us to keep pushing for that because it is it is a massive cost of huge budget to what we're doing. But in fairness, as I said, we're fortunate enough to have people be generous enough to, you know, check out the GoFundMeer. You know, yeah. donate in their own
4: way. Yeah, and I just, I want people to go along, I really do, because I've seen clips of it, I've just seen smaller clips of it online and it's a really, really professional looking show. So so uh, kudos to you and congrats uh, on Thank that. Thank you very much. And is is there some, something special about coming and playing it in the Everyman? I mean, the Everyman is a stunning theatre. Oh, yes.
7: So, I must admit, the staff at the Everman has been very, very accommodating to us. They've been really, really lovely. And I myself, since looking into obviously various colleges in Cork, knowing the connections that the School of music would have to the Everman. Um, that really, personally to me, being a part of the cast the way that I am, it was probably the, the one of the only venues that really stood out to me to be like, you know, Cork is going to be a place that I will be living for some extent of my life and I do have family in court as well. So there's all these ties and these connections but of course as you said the Everyman is a studying theatre and all the students that work there the staff that work there were just so lovely and facilitating to us. So we're very grateful that they were so welcoming to this Okay, you know, amateur production. And So <laughs> so
4: remind, remind listeners where they can get tickets for Friday night because it is one night only.
7: Yes. So one night only in the Everyman. Um, we would ask you to refer to our website and go check out our social media pages because we'd have a link tree in our description our descriptions and our bios where you can find the link to tickets or check out the Everyman's website Okay, um, or oh, you can get too. them on the
4: website as well okay yeah, yeah. The, um, yes. everyman.ie Listen Rachel yes. we wish you good luck and, and I have a funny feeling we're going to be following your career with great interest and we will be able to say in come I remember when I interviewed Rachel when she was starting it all out with the prom cream we wish you luck uh, <laughs> with it and congratulations to you Sinead and the rest of the crew uh, it, it really does look like it's a stunning uh, production and we hope you get a full house on Friday night but thank Thanks for joining us on the programme.
7: Thank you very much. Good
4: morning to you. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Um, love to see young people that enthusiastic and that passionate about something that is young. Uh, Rachel Griffin from uh, Killarney coming to the Everyman with their show Prom Queen The Movement in a Concert a youth-based project. We wish them luck with it. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Bernie continues to take uh, calls. and I'm just seeing uh, when we've been talking about holidays and dreaming of how wonderful it would be uh, to get away and have some sun on on our bones when we're looking out at the dreary weather very sad news breaking from Turkey this is literally a breaking news story a father and a son now they're understood to be from the Midlands they've died in an incident in Turkey it's understood they were involved in a fatal road accident on a family holiday oh my god Department of Foreign Affairs have confirmed it's aware of the case and they're now providing uh, assistance isn't that dreadful? That is dreadful. We'll uh, probably hear more about that uh, case as uh, it unfolds. But uh, that poor family, my God, what a way for a holiday uh, to end. Uh, may they both uh, rest in peace. You can text or WhatsApp the programme 0862 103. Uh, This is from Louise. Louise says, you're talking about medical issues uh, today. Did you read about the pill that is being made here in uh, Ireland? Uh, It's a contraceptive pill and you don't need a doctor's prescription for it. It's been made in Ireland, but it's not available in uh, Ireland Yeah, It is an Irish based uh, company. It's the first ever birth control pill that will be sold over the counter without a prescription in pharmacies, but it's only available at the moment in the US. It's a Perigo company. Their headquarters are based in Dublin and they are going to be part of the manufacturing of this tablet, which is set in America, they say, to transform reproductive care in the States. It's called the o Pill. It's been approved by the US Food and Drug Administration and it's expected to be available over the counter in uh, pharmacies in the States, uh, but it's not going to be available until next year. Now, Perigo say it's achieved what they say is a major milestone in its ambition to provide women and people with greater access to contraception. The pill will be made here in Ireland, also in Germany, and it will be made in the US. And a spokesperson says the company, there'll be more than eight years preparing the research to submit an application to the FDA and uh, they've had decades, they say, of advocacy, research and grassworks work by reproductive health rights and justice community before they've got to this stage. But the company has unfortunately not applied to have the drug sold here in Ireland without prescription. The health Products regulatory authority, that's the HPRA, that's the equivalent of the FDA that's in the States. They say to date they haven't received an application from any pharmaceutical company to reclassify an oral contraception medicine, which would then permit sale and supply without a prescription. But that's not to say that it won't happen into the future. The fact that it's going to be available in the States I'm assuming if it is proving to be hugely successful in the States, they'll start to apply and look for permission and applications, I would say, across all of Europe. So it's kind of a case of watch this space for the Opil. Due to unforeseen circumstances, the Irish Blood Transfusion Service have had to cancel donor clinics that were due to be held in the Cork Marts Inn for Moyna. They were due to be held tomorrow Wednesday and again on Thursday. But instead, alternative clinics will be held tomorrow Wednesday. If you're in the Coachford area, the GAA Centre will hold a blood donor clinic between 4 and 8. And then on Thursday, Riverstick Communities centre. We'll have a blood donor clinic again between 4 and 8 and particularly during the summertime. We're all encouraged to please give blood because blood stocks always drop at this time. So if you are available and you are a blood donor or you a first time blood donor, they'd love to hear from you. See you if you're a first time blood donor. Coach for tomorrow and uh, Riverstick on uh, Thursday. John O'Donovan has been on about Pug Fair. Now I mentioned this yesterday during the programme because it was kind of a breaking story when we were on air yesterday. The news that the organisers have decided not to to put the the goat up over Kilorgland for the three days of the festival. Uh, John says it is ridiculous not to have a goat up at the fair this year. He likens it. He says it would be like having the Rose of Tralee without the roses. He said that goat is medically checked twice a day. Puck Fair is a pagan festival going back 400 years. We shouldn't be uh, changing it. And of course, as the news has started to get out, that they, there is to be a change this year for the first time and the the the, the GOAT will play a much smaller uh, part. There's a lot of people seemingly, especially in Kerry, who are very, very disappointed with the news that this year the GOAT will be raised for an hour on the opening night, that's the 10th of August, and then it'll return for a similar period, about an hour, on the closing date of the festival, which will be on the 12th of uh, August. And I know that one of the Healy Rays, one of the councillors, Johnny Healy Ray, he's of the Healy Ray family. He's a local councillor in uh, Kerry. He says the majority of people that he's been chatting to in Kerry are very disappointed about this change. Uh, Now, he says, you know, the committee have to be praised for the work that they have uh, done. And uh, it has to be said, I suppose, generally people are disappointed that there's to be a change in the format this year. He said the goat was looked after better than any king in any country during the festival. They have vets on hand 24 hours a day. He's fed in his waters. He said, I don't think anyone could question that the goat came down out of the stand in better order than he went up every year that the festival has been run. He also then went on to criticise certain groups who are calling for this change. He says, some of these people, God nor man couldn't satisfy them if we tried. You can almost hear it in a, in a Healy Ray voice, can't you? He said, you gave him the lot up, they'd find something wrong with it. Uh, a lot of these people, whether we call them environmentalist or animal rights crowd and I'm quoting Johnny, Chancellor Janahili Ray are whatever they are, they do an awful lot of talking about animal rights. But he said, if there was cattle or animals depending on them for the winter, I don't see them doing a lot uh, for that. They're only talking. There was no word about the goats up in every mountain in Kerry all over the winter. I don't see them carrying a bag of hay or a bag of rolled oats or doing anything for the wild goats on the mountain of Kerry. Tis only when it's part of a tradition or part of a festival you get a certain cohort he says a minority he would say uh, that like to undermine things like that so he certainly is not happy with the news but the Committee have uh, given in and said no. He'll spend an hour uh, up there on the opening night and an hour on the closing night. But as I say not going down too well. Certainly in Kerry, don't know how it's the, what the reaction is around the country. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. But our John in the city not happy with it. Now can I just give a mention to some of the commentary that came in when I read out a text earlier? We were talking about the voluntary contributions for schools, and somebody was pointing out that in times gone by, when the schools. Were were run by nuns and priests and the, the various Christian brothers and Presentation brothers and Rosminiian brothers, etc., um, that we didn't have any of these problems with schools and school was free uh, to everyone. And the listener was making the point, it was because of what the nuns and the priests and the brothers did. They poured everything that they had into the running of the schools and this listener was critical of how all priests and brothers and nuns are tired with the, with the same brush um, as the few who were involved in both uh, sexual and uh, physical uh, abuse. Uh, So that has led to a flurry of commentary. Let me just bring you some of it. Hi, Patricia. What do you mean when you say some of the nuns and priests were good? In my opinion, none of them were good because the so-called good kept their mouths shut and did nothing. So they were complicit in the abuse was going on. Can you name one nun, one priest, one brother that came onto your show to condemn what was happening? The so-called good nuns and priests turned their backs when it was all going on and that has come in from a Kerry listener and somebody else on a similar vein says the majority of nuns and brothers were not, uh, not sadistics. the ones that weren't but they stood by and watched the brutality of the children and I quote for evil to flourish it only takes good men to do nothing and someone else says it makes me so mad when i hear anybody say all the good nuns and what they done over uh, the years i know a few of them were good but most of them says this texter were brutal beating the children even as far as children in sixth class for very little i'm in my 70s and it still makes me so angry Thank God, the days of the nuns in the schools are uh, gone. And it's funny, whenever we talk about, and I will never take away from what uh, people went through. I was lucky that I went through the education system where corporal punishment uh, wasn't there, uh, thank God. But I never take from the memories that people have and how people still to this day, and there's a typical example of somebody in their 70s still living with the brutality of what happened to them when they were in school and this, their scars have been left that I wonder, will they ever heal? So I, I do have an understanding when people get enraged when they hear anybody talking about the good nuns, priests and brothers, and it is a fair enough point, you know. How many of them stood by and didn't shout stop that this is wrong? Oh eight one eight one o three one o three. And just on how much television costs us all, a West Cork listener says, Patricia, I don't have Sky TV anymore now. I did have it once upon a time, but I realised I was paying one thousand twelve one thousand two hundred um a year, hundred and twenty per month. I decided to give it up and why? Because it was simply too expensive. People are paying that and more just to have Sky and yet they are the same people who will complain about paying a TV licence of €160 a year. I believe it's unfair to local radio and media in general like your good selves at C103 that you don't get a piece of that TV licence pie thanking you and that is from a West Cork uh, listener and you're not the only one. A lot of people have given up uh, Sky because it has become so uh, expensive but again we often hear about go and renegotiate see if you can get a cheaper package but it can be very very expensive 0818 uh, 103 103 uh, Bernie's taking your calls if you want to text or WhatsApp you can to 0862 103
3: 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Delivering roads and housing Community and business supports All across the county See corkcoco.ie.
4: Bingo is on tonight Indeed every Tuesday night In Cham Valley More Community Centre 8 o'clock start Now the jackpot this week Is 2,050 euro Nazareth House in Mallow, they hold their weekly draw on Thursdays in Nazareth House and their jackpot stands at €10,000. A Dunhamore Carnival that runs from this Friday to this Sunday. Lots of entertainment for all of the family with a family fun day down for next Sunday. And Mill Street Vintage Club, they will hold a van and jeep road run next Sunday. And it's in aid of St. Joseph's Foundation Children's Special Needs. Vehicles up to 3.5 tonnes, including light commercials, are all welcome. Now, the sign-on is at 10.30 in the Green Glens in Mill Street, with the run then leaving Mill Street at a quarter past 12. There will be prizes for the most unusual livery, best lighting accessories and best original vintage livery. For more details, you can call Martin 087 766 8572.
3: Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. You talk to me.
2: Cork
4: today on C103. Now, as we've been reporting on the news, Cork County Council have been urged to please, please sit down with the community uh, there before any barriers are erected at Keelbeg Pier in Union Hall to find out what's going on. I'm joined by Cork South West adult Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan. Uh, good afternoon to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. Now, we need to go back to yesterday morning. Contractors arrived to erect a fence. Outline to me what happened and was there any prior warning for the local community?
8: Yeah, so I suppose it, it might help first if I outlined how we've got to the, the position that we're in, the situation that, that we're in at the moment. Please do. Uh, Keelbeg Pier is down near Union Hall. Most of your listeners will know exactly where Union Hall is. Beautiful, picturesque village. A lot of fishing, a lot of water activity there. And um, they have a, a, the Quebec Pier has a, a brand new, what they call a commercial pier. So that's a multi euro investment, mainly geared at separating out the um, uh, fishing, uh, I suppose, activities from a lot of the leisure activities. Um, so that's an absolutely fantastic facility. And a few years back, um, Cork County Council, for what they say health and safety reasons, they decided to erect a barrier to the entrance to um, the commercial pier. They try to separate out the leisure activity from the commercial activity, the fishing activity, as in they felt it was unsafe for them for them to mix. Now, this was quite controversial at the time, but at that time, we, we did sit down with Cork County Council at the time. I was a council at the time, and we managed to uh, reach an agreement whereby access would be maintained to what they call the old pier in, in Union Hall. This is the, the eastern um, pier, very old um, facility. But it meant that uh, those who didn't have swipe guards or who didn't have uh, fishing-related activity could still access that part of the pier, uh, and then they'd have to go through a barrier to access the commercial pier. So this is really, really important for the for locals, um, for, for the local rowing club, for some of the fishermen down there, for uh, the um, sailing clubs that come over from Glendore, and for the water safety classes, water safety courses that are given to young people every year, that people could use this old pier to access, access the water. And um, no. Uh, Many years ago, as well, Cork County Council commissioned a safety report. Many aspects of that report were quite damning on the old pier, and that parts of it weren't suitable for use. Um, but this is, I suppose, where the controversy begins. Uh, instead of Cork County Council, I suppose putting together a plan um, to make the pier safe uh, and to, I suppose, um, kind of re- to, to replaster it or to uh, put sheep piling in to make it safe, they decided the simplest thing to do was was put up a barrier and cut off access the old pier for, for most of the locals there and that's really what's caused heartache down there i mean you've you've people generations of people who've used that pier who even just to walk out the pier which is very very safe to do i did it myself yesterday and um, you know to use it for swimming to use it for different activities that the would like rowing water safety etc the fact that that longer be available has really irked the community down there and all they're looking for at this stage is some type of uh communication with the council. And, um, and,
4: and, and, and if, if the barriers had gone ahead uh, yesterday, how are Cork County Councils suggesting that people then would access the water, In particularly the people you mentioned, like the rowing club, the sailing club, the water safety, how are they meant to access the water?
8: <coughs> this is actually, in, I had this exact same conversation with local yesterday. And, you know, even when we had the controversy, for example, around Jersey um, and the cable care, you know, we, we managed to come to a situation where a, an alternative was put in place. Um, unfortunately, that's not the situation here. You, you're going to have access completely cut off. So the barrier uh, will come right up to the, to the, um, I suppose, the land side of the, the pier, the landward side of the pier. It means that 90% almost of the pier is then decommissioned and out of use. Now, there is the commercial pier, and they're suggesting that some of the boat users go and use that commercial pier. But there's a big issue with the commercial pier. But, but that commercial pier is really is... Um, kitted out and designed and built to cater for small for, for bigger boats, I should say. Not smaller craft like the sailing club would use or the wine club would use. Um, so this is a big part of the issue and a big part of why I really would urge management within Cork County Council to sit down with one, two or three representatives from the, the, the local pier users there and to try eco to plan to say that, look, we appreciate that the pier has to be made safe. Um, but what are the alternatives? What are what are you putting in place to ensure that we can still access the water? Um, you know, because at the moment it's just a simple erection of a barrier and, you know, it, almost like the, it, it walking away from the, the, the actual facility itself, which it, it could be years and years down the line then before um, anyone ever uses that pier again, which is a great shame.
4: OK, stay there because I want to bring in A. O'Donnell. He's on the uh, other line, who's one of the locals uh, in Union Hall. Good morning, Jay. Good morning. Um, OK, When uh, t- tell me what happened yesterday when the contractors arrived to try to erect this fence. <clears throat>
1: I suppose uh, uh, the, they got spotted when they were uh, coming down onto the pier uh, and the call went out then to say, right, they're here to do do this job. Um, so uh, uh, a load of locals came together and requested them not to do the job.
4: And they did stop? They did stop. Okay, did, were, were the guards called?
1: The guards were called. Okay, uh, and they said to the group that uh, it's a peaceful protest. You're entitled to, to, to do so, uh, and that provided there was un- nothing untoward, which there was not. Uh, they did. They did their piece. They did their job.
4: Okay, and your your argument would be similar to exactly what Christopher has said. It's going to limit access to the water for people who live and people who use the pier?
1: Uh, absolutely. Like, the, the, even <laughs> when the contractors were there, a um, the boat came in and landed fish there. Okay. You know, um, so that's happening on a daily basis. Um, there's two or three smaller of the fishing fleet actually use the pier. Then there's uh, anglers that come in and use the pier. Uh, angling boats, uh, scenic, scenic boats come in, they use that because it's easier access than there is onto the main commercial pier.
4: Do you accept that the pier has to be made safe?
1: Absolutely. None of us are arguing that. Um, you know, uh, for health and safety reasons, it needs it, the work needs to be done. But the question here is, they're taking away a facility that is in use and on a daily basis, and there is no plan, never mind about infrastructure, put in place, even on temporary measure, to cater for for the people that are presently using it.
4: So the, the fence, your thinking is the fence was to be erected to stop people using it. The fence wasn't being erected to allow work to go on to make the pier safe.
1: No, there's absolutely no plans that we've been made aware of to actually do any remedial works on the
8: pier to make it safe.
4: OK, and Christopher, do you know if there's any plans afoot?
8: I know that um, one of the arguments for our County Council are making is that they submitted um, the Balami Fund, and I don't want to put your listeners on with technicality, but the Balami Fund is a fund that came out of Brexit, to help local authorities to invest in piers and harbours, okay? OK? So there's some fantastic work being done around own at the moment. Uh, Court McSherry, for example, there was dredging, and there's a new pantoon. Glen Garf, there's a bit of, of dredging. And there's one perfect example of which I really feel Cork County Council should follow suit. is tanna Valley is down in Roaring Water Bay. I may not have even pronounced it correctly, but they're doing, they're doing repair work there, exactly what needs to be done in, in, in Union Hall. So that funding is still there. There was about 6 million euros um, allocated to Cork County Council to improve piers and harbours, but it specifically said it has to be for shovel-ready projects. Now, I do know Cork County Council put in an application for a feasibility study for a master plan, but master plans they take years to deliver. They they have to go through planning permissions, they have to go through public consultations. All that needs to happen here, and I think any fair-minded person looking on, uh, you know, and even someone who doesn't have necessarily have nautical experience or, or experience in the water. A simple repair job on the old pier, whether it's some type of sheet piling, um, concrete, reinforcement of the pier. Um, that is exactly the type of work that this BALAMI funding was intended to, this Brexit Adjustment Reserve funding, was intended for repair works to make them safe. And if Cork County Council had, I suppose, I, I would hope, would I wish would have spent the last six months preparing an application of that nature, rather than a very simplistic, putting up a few barriers, which has cost about 20000 Go, which what I feel will go a long way. It doesn't
4: need a master plan. It does need a master plan. Um, a, a, you're planning a public meeting tonight. Tell me about that.
1: So there's a, a public meeting tonight at 8 o'clock in okay. the Community Hall in Union Hall uh, and there will be public representatives hopefully Christopher would be there with us uh, and other public representatives I'm
4: hoping will be there as well. And any plans to meet with the council?
1: We have requested on numerous occasions uh, to meet with the council to engage with the community to try and find a way forward that works for everybody. But unfortunately they're not willing to engage.
4: Yeah, I know. I think I saw was Councillor Paul Hayes there yesterday as well? He, he was, yeah. He was there as well, yeah. Uh, OK, so um, Christopher, would you encourage them to, uh, to to the council to please sit down, the executive and speak with the local people?
8: Yeah, so I, I wrote to management yesterday just for that exactly. I mean, all all of this kind of I grow this anonymity, this kind of uh, this kind of confrontational approach, really, with very little communication, is doing no one any good. Um, Cork County Council do some fantastic work around County Cork. We talk about it all the time, but sometimes we just need a bit of communication um, with locals. I think that would help here. And, and it's you know you mentioned Paul Hayes there, and I was there yesterday as well. And us local reps are going down trying to almost firefight and trying to to, to you know to meet the people, and we obviously have to listen to their concerns, and some of them are quite angry um it, it's time now I think that management and executive and the council sat down with just two or three representatives. It's not a case of them attending a public meeting like we will be doing tonight. Two or three representatives to hash out some type of route or plan or way forward. To make sure that locals can access the pier again in the very near future. Okay. And, and I really do believe a, a compromise
4: can be reached. Okay, Billy in Clonakilty is making an interesting point. Does anybody know how much it's actually going to cost to put that barrier up? Uh, Billy uh, has heard it's thousands because the contractor even had to come from Cork. Surely that money would have been better spent on fixing the pier. Does anybody know how much the barrier was going to cost to erect, Paul?
8: Uh, correct me here, but I think it's between fifteen and 20,000. To
4: put up the barrier?
8: Put up the area.
4: Oh, it's ridiculous. It could oh go my off god. Way
8: towards repairing the pier, but um, look, oh. there may be foreshore required, which is a lot of red tape boxes. I know. But I know. Just let's yeah. let sit down and try find solutions. Yeah. Because If contractors come back again tomorrow, and um, you know, this is the kind of saddest part of all of this is that you've local council and council staff who work their backsides off Stone in Union Hall, and now they have to confront locals. And something that emerged yesterday that one of the staff was asked. Actually, to go through CCTV footage to identify who was there yesterday morning—that is not the approach. You know, this kind of uh, pointing out and singling out and 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 um, you know, almost threatening legal action—it's really not the approach. It should be they, sit, just sit and down talk to
4: and those. negotiate and chat. Yeah. Okay. So, um, a tonight, eight o'clock. Uh, anyone with uh, that has used or is planning on using uh, the old pier in Union Hall at the community community hall tonight at eight. Okay. Listen, we might catch up with you again uh, to see how you get on. In the meantime, thank you both for joining us on the programme today. Thank you. Thank uh, you very much. Good afternoon. Bye bye. A. O'Donnell of Union Hall and also on the line, uh, Cork Southwest, Finefold, Doll Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862103103. Court today on C one zero three. And Joe Heffern is out in Booterbridge, and he joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, interesting topic uh, for us today: it's the various developmental stages of life, and this was spurred on by you having a chat with uh, a mum of a newborn baby, and this is really interesting because um, our developmental stages, of course, change over yeah. the years.
9: Well, the, the, the big authority on developmental stages would be Eric Erickson and um, he would have identified eight stages um, to characterize uh, basically development from the cradle to the grave.
4: Okay, and we want to go through them.
9: We will, and yeah. I was rather amazed that the early ones when I first came across this. Stage one, the first year of life. Imagine is when a baby learns trust or mistrust. Um, Now, at this stage in life, the mother or the mother substitute is the more significant um, relationship for the baby. And and in the home, then, if parents are angry or anxious, are unable to meet the child's needs, the child may develop a sense of mistrust because stage one is trust versus mistrust
4: and that's in the very first year of life imagine who who would have thought
9: of it when none of us can
4: remember our first year
9: yes but apparently we these um, uh, characteristics if that's the right word um, are formed then trust versus mistrust and in the second year of life um, what Erickson called stage 2 autonomy versus shame or doubt now The most important social relationship during this stage is with the child's parents. And um, if the child is not given the freedom to do the things that the child can do or is pushed into doing something for which they're not ready, they may develop a sense of shame or doubt about their own abilities and fail to develop self-confidence. Imagine we're talking about a two-year-old amazing isn't yeah, it yeah
4: yeah and and you know you can you, you would often see like an anxious uh, parent or a t- and it, it's re- almost reflected in the child yeah and yeah. it all it all goes back to this because th- those you know first couple of years are so important because they're looking to the primary caregiver as to how they should be acting
9: absolutely and i think most of us would think that in the first and second years that the child is just somebody there Um, uh, needs to be fed and um, wouldn't be noticing anything. And apparently they notice an awful lot. Imagine.
4: And then we get on to sort of the 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 more informative years the three to fives when some people might have memories of of that age of their life. Some people
9: are wonderful to remember things um, toys or this or that when they were that age more people would tell you I have no recollection of it at all. But Whatever about that, it's when we develop um, uh, initiative versus guilt. Now, let me explain that in a little bit more ordinary um, uh, terms. Um, What what we would be hopeful for in the three- to five-year-old would be that they would develop a sense of purpose and direction an ability to initiate one's own activities. Now, if a child is encouraged to do this, um, they can develop their sense of initiative, but the child may develop feelings of guilt if punished for expressing his or her own desires and plans, which may lead to fear and a lack of assertiveness. So I think... I, I think the biggest thing there is the ability of the um, carers uh, to listen.
4: Yeah, and, and to uh, encourage, I think, to me what stands out there is encourage the child uh, to do things. Because, you know, we hear that term, the helicopter parent who doesn't allow the child to do anything. And at that well, age... What,
9: what did you say there before he- the word parent?
4: Helicopter parenting, where they're hovering over the child. Oh, okay. care. And, you know, they're, they're, they don't let the child do anything themselves. Oh, they might fall. You know, it it comes... Yeah. Uh, the parent is trying to be caring but it can actually have huge effects on, on the child Right, um, and, and you're at that age where they're, where it is important that they're being encouraged because they're coming up to five when they'll be starting school and they have to leave the comfort zone of the home.
9: Exactly, exactly couldn't agree with you more, 100% um, in other words like that we're not um, over, over protective that um, you know I I suppose, like, we have to take little risks in life. And, you know, one of those, a big risk is heading off to school um, uh, away from the safety and nurture of the home and um, starting to kind of, as it were, um, feel our own way in the world.
4: Yeah, and use their their own initiative. So then the the next stage is from six years of age up to puberty, just before kind of teenagers or just getting to teenage stages.
9: No, the way that Erikson describes this is industry versus inferiority. But again, to put that into our everyday um, language, um, you know, the most significant relationship during this period is with the neighbourhood and school. Um, a favourable outcome of this stage is um, competence, a feeling of competence in. Uh, you know, intellectual, social, and physical skills. In other words, I'm okay at school. Um, I'm able. I have some friends, and uh, and I'm able to be out in the playground and I can kick the ball. Now that's simplifying it to the point of maybe oversimplification, but that would basically be it. And the downside in that stage of a child's life would be um, being compared with others. And, um, you know, kind of constantly being told that they come, came second rather than first. And the child may then develop a sense of inferiority yeah. complex.
4: Worst, the worst thing you can do for a child, I think, is to compare. Absolutely. Yeah, Couldn't be it with, a, with another sibling, an older sibling or a younger sibling or, you know, Mary down the road. It's, it's just the worst thing. And then we move to what can be a difficult stage for a lot of parents. Stage five, adolescence.
9: Adolescence. Now, the most important social relationship during this period, as we all know, is with the peer group.
4: They're friends. We've all
9: heard about the peer pressure and peer. So a successful outcome at this stage is an integrated image of oneself as unique. In other words, who am I? Who am I and what do I want and what's important to me so that When an adolescent um, uh, develops a sense of who who he or she is, who they are, um, well, then uh, that's uh, developing a sense of identity and um, not being um, uh, a follower all the time, not being susceptible um, to what others are doing. We've all heard it from our parents at times, um, you know, um, if they jumped off the bridge, would Would you you jump off the bridge? And that kind of thing. But so that we wouldn't jump off the bridge, we'd make up our own minds. And uh, we would then gain um, a sense of control over our own destinies. We would begin to have values and we would begin to recognize what it is we want in life. uh, so that would be, um, um, as you say, and you say so correctly, a troublesome stage. Yeah, be um, a
4: difficult time for the parents. You need a, yeah. lo- a lot of, uh, if you're going through it for the first time, you just need a lot of patience. A lot of, a yeah. lot of patience. And yeah. then we move to stage six, and this is early adulthood. Early and I'm assuming adulthood. this is when people are moving out of home, maybe into college yeah. or starting relationships.
9: Yeah, intimacy versus isolation. So the most significant social relationships during this period are with partners and friends. In other words, like, have we an ability, has the person an ability to form close and lasting relationships and, indeed, to make career commitments? Um, you know, again, I suppose, like, it, 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 it sort of drips into the earlier one of what do I want? And, you know, we often ask people, um, what is it you want to do? And um, uh, But especially in the caring and loving um, relationships, it's so important at this stage for a person to be able to commit to a loving and caring relationship, or relationships. And that can be friends, um, or it can be intimate relationships. Um, and one of the One of the minuses in that, uh, one of the negatives could be um, a person who fears being hurt or who has been hurt and won't risk um, intimacy and caring again. And then the person could risk being isolated Mm. and none of us wants that really, I think.
4: Yeah, and some of it might be carried on from some of the steps along the way that we've mentioned where parents got it wrong or caregivers got got it wrong. So then we're on to uh, middle adulthood is stage seven.
9: Middle uh, middle adulthood. That would be now around when a person is in, say, their 40s. Okay.
4: Um,
9: Men usually at this period are uh, probably at the peak of their careers. They're after... um, thereafter farming um, thereafter becoming earners and earning jobs and uh, at this stage as well um, women can be can be like taking a little step back from child rearing and from you know uh, looking after the kids that's now being quite traditional in a viewpoint but um it, it happens and um that, uh, that women can become more um uh outgoing and um doing things for themselves rather than being carers um all the time. Yeah,
4: well at midlife as well a lot of the kids may have flown the nest and you know yeah. suddenly they don't have to do so much of the caring role.
9: Yeah, and at this stage then this is a concern for family um, you know god knows I, I know a lot about that on account of the kids of the kids whether they're 46 or whether they're 40 they Never or stop they're caring you yeah never, you never stop never you
4: never stop being a parent for sure no
9: indeed no indeed
4: so concern
9: for family yeah, I, society future generations i suppose that's at an age too at a time when one would start to think about well nowadays um the likes of climate change the likes of um looking down the road towards the the world we live in the planet we live on you know
4: Yeah, and you can also, uh, that's the the stage of your your life, uh, Erickson says, where you can look back with some regrets, maybe things that you didn't, goals you didn't achieve. Oh, in the
9: latter stages then, that would be now where I'm at, in the the 65 years plus. Um, You have integrity versus despair. Now, I have my days of integrity and I have my days of despair. Uh, Despair would be looking back um, with regret, uh, missed opportunities, failures. Um, uh, they're there. Of course they are. And um, I would be hoping just that there would be more days of feeling um, a sense of fulfillment and wholeness in my life and, and indeed a preparedness for death because people that we knew well, people that we were friendly with, uh, we're now looking up RIP to put in a condolence Um Whereas that usually wasn't part of our lives up to um, when we're that much older, so that like um uh, yeah, a certain uh, a certain sense of integrity and a certain sense of you know I did okay or like my old mantra would be, "I did my best yeah. Um, yeah. if if I can come up with a genuinely at the end of any day. I did my best I'm okay then um, it mightn't mean that I had done marvellously it mightn't mean that I had had any great achievement but I can definitely say um, sincerely to myself I did my best
4: Yeah, I and when I look
9: back That's mm-hmm. a
4: great way I think for all of us to go to bed if you can look back on the day and say I did my best uh, yes. today and if you help somebody along the way even better Okay interesting really interesting uh, chat uh, Joe. thank you for that listen have a lovely week and, and say, uh, can I say stay dry? <laughs> it's like rain, rain, and more rain. So don't that, f- don't that, venture out that, without the wellies.
9: That has many meanings, Trish, and um, I'll definitely be staying dry in one sense but when I step outside the door I mightn't be dry <laughs> OK listen
4: mind yourself have a good one we'll chat okay. next Tuesday God bless that is uh, Joe Heffernan runs a counselling practice in Bui. his number is 086 834 8147 834 8147 uh, before I go just a quick uh, this is a, a text that's just come in when we're talking about nuns and priests and of course when I said that there were good nuns and good priests and good Christian brothers whenever I mention that I get inundated with people who had very bad experience unfortunately back in their school days um, and that, uh, that they can never get over and that they still feel the hurt and the pain from it. Well here's an interesting other angle on it when people are making the point that you know good, evil prevails when good people don't stand up and say stop and people were saying what about the nuns and the brothers and the priests who knew what was going on and knew about the abuse and never tried to stop it. A texter says, Patricia I worked for the nuns for a good length of time and what many of your listeners are failing to understand about the nuns uh, is that nine out of ten of those nuns were bullied themselves by those evil nuns that you are talking about. How many children speak up when they are bullied? How many adults speak up? How many years has it taken for the women in the Defence Forces to speak up about the bullying and abuse that they have experienced the nuns believe me were no difference, different they were terrified by the same individuals as well, and what many of your listeners don't understand is the amount of good so many of those sisters did. I witnessed it as I say, when I worked with them for many, many years. They gave their lives and they gave every penny they had for the good of others and Yes, I know some of them should never, and I repeat, never see the light of day, but their day will come too, so there are good and they just they, they may have wanted to speak up they weren't in a position to be able to uh, do it which I think is a valid enough point and someone else says what about lay teachers um, but God there was plenty of them that I could uh, talk about and someone else was talking about did swimming coaches come on and speak up and condemn others who were being accused of sexual assault did teachers come on and condemn other lay uh, teachers there was so much uh, going on and a lot of it was just swept under the carpet and people weren't able to speak out which I think is a valid, valid point. Thank you for that. OK, that's where I must leave you for today. My thanks to uh, Bernie Murphy filling in for John Paul all this week. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And of course, as I reminded you, uh, Nick is going to be in Mallow on Friday at the Credit Union. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. After the night. I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.